help if I hit record. So now we're recording, but people don't know they missed anything because we have no theme song. So anyhow, um, <laughs> while I, as I was saying earlier, while you're over there, if you want to click on the YouTube channel and subscribe to our YouTube channel, you can see our other content, like me finally falling out of my kayak for the first time in three years, but we won't talk yeah. about that. We'll save that for another day because we have more important things to talk about tonight. And uh, to bring us into that category of the important things we need to talk to ten about tonight, I introduce you, Mike, no use for last name. So, Mike, uh, what's going on, and how did you get so annoyed that you wanted to breach this conversation for tonight on tonight's show? Well, how I got so annoyed is a lifetime of living. Um, I think I wanted to bring this to light because... I think there are very few people that are like me that are out there that are they look at their own generation and they go, Wow, my generation absolutely fucking sucks. Better than looking at your own genitals and saying, Wow, my genitals absolutely very true. I I, I don't think I I would want Actually, to Actually uh, one one feel can make that. the argument unless you're a, a, a homosexual uh, Normally, a straight man looks down and says, wow, my genitals absolutely suck, which is why we all love the female body so much. But That's right. That's another conversation for another time. Side note, since I had COVID unverified, um, I'm off soda. Down thing is, is I don't have soda to put in my bourbon anymore, so now I'm drinking it, shit, I'm drinking it straight like a real man. Eyeball. <laughs> Real quick, let me just say this. I know we're trying not not jump all over conversations, but you ever met those people who smoke and then they get sick, they get like pneumonia, and they're like, "Man, you I was mean, sick." You for... mean uh, cigarette smokers? Yeah. They're like, "Man, I was yeah. sick for three weeks. I haven't had a cigarette in three weeks." Cool. Mm -hmm. See, so quit smoking. No, I'm smoking again. <laughs> like, wait a minute. You were sick for three weeks. Yeah. You didn't have a cigarette for three weeks. Correct. So you basically went through withdrawal while being sick. Uh huh. And the first thing you did was by gotcha same thing i was so sick dehydrated so much pain all only thing i was drinking is water and gatorade and i didn't want to be that guy so now i'm better and no soda i'm like i i got myself through the caffeine withdrawals got myself over the heavy desire to crack a mountain dew i will say i did open one bottle of mountain dew since being sick and i threw three quarters of it away there's nothing better than being back at the spot where you taste soda for what it is and that is a carbonated acid-filled mess <laughs> so when you drink it you get sick stomach so i'm trying to stay off the set i'm hoping this will help me lose my weight but now that we said that if you're wondering why i'm drinking straight bourbon tonight because i don't know is gatorade a good bourbon mixer i don't want to be the guy to find out i need to send that to the drink tester on tiktok have you been watching him no he's this redneck I'm... he he's an alcoholic okay and he tries these different drinks which eh, boring then it all changed when he bought a soda stream <laughs> People, oh, shit. People making him drink carbonated uh, fireball, <laughs> carbonated moonshine. He drank an entire glass of carbonated soy sauce. It's hot mess. He's fucking Was hilarious. That, is that, I think maybe you sent it to me. I don't remember who sent it yeah, to me. Yeah, he's like long hair, his... hillbilly kind of guy. Yeah, they, he, he carbonated milk. Uh, carbonated milk and also Everclear. Carbonated milk. Made him drink Everclear and full-blown moonshine. <laughs> outstanding and it's interesting depending on the makeup of the liquid some of it overflows with three pumps and some of it doesn't and yeah. the sad thing is this guy's such an alcoholic that he like considers this full glass filled up a normal shot <laughs> so there's that 
Well, before we get on to generational stuff and, and millennials and stuff like that, you brought up a good point about um, <clears throat> uh, people who quit smoking and, and then, you know, three weeks later after they get sick or whatever and they get better, they start smoking again. Mm-hmm. Interesting because I went through basic training. And before I went to basic training, I smoked back a day. Went to basic training. They cut that shit out. You know, no dipping, no smoking, no nothing. And went all the way through basic training, got out of basic training. So that just training. shows you how different it is because in World War II, they were just running the obstacle course while you were smoking. <laughs> and yeah. Like yeah. And, uh, and uh, when I got out of basic training and I went back home for a little while, um, first thing i did i think actually on base they told us before we graduated they said um uh, while you're on base here you still have to abide by all the rules okay you know whatever but even though we were with our parents or with our family members or whatever driving around hanging out you know showing you know the base off and whatnot and i remember one of the first things i did was put a dip in uh Cause my dad dips and uh, I put a dip in and I was like, man, I haven't felt that in a long time. It was yeah. like almost that nicotine rush mm-hmm. again. And then when I got back home, I finally smoked my first cigarette and it was the same thing. I got that nicotine rush and, and it was like, why did I waste? That was such a waste. Like after yeah. I got, I got out of it, I was able to breathe again. I wasn't like choked up or, you know, out of breath or anything. And I was in probably the best shape of my life. And just to, to to reintroduce that to your body and to do that to yourself. I mean, it was just, it was horrible. Yeah. So sometimes you find yourself in a situation, whether you're sick or at boot camp, where things aren't in the most desirable aspect and you're being withheld from certain things. And so, but if those certain things aren't really healthy for you, once you get back to where you can participate in those things, maybe just not. Don't. Yeah. Especially when you get old, like me. <laughs> No, I I just thought that was an interesting offshoot because I I kicked myself in the ass for that because you know I mean I I vape now and I only vape because I quit smoking and I still have to have that vice that you know picking something up you know the oral fixation yeah and but let me you ask know, you I, this because um, I've seen other people do this who quit smoking and then they vape. But then they seem to hit the vape more than the cigarettes. For that oral fixation, almost to the point where it sounds like you have like Darth Vader in the other room. <laughs> <It's just> not- <laughs> well, I've with vaping. Like when I when I first started vaping, I didn't start vaping because I quit smoking. I vape now because I don't smoke. I used to vape a long time ago too, while I was still smoking. So if I was in, if I was somewhere where I couldn't smoke, I just vape. So the idea behind it was, um, when you when you go to a vape shop or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. back when it was before it became um, universally popular, you get this big mod and you get the eighteen six fifty batteries and you get a deck and you build your own. Look at this and, nerd! He's yeah. still talking battery specs. That's right. You were were you a cloud and, chaser? Huh? Were you a cloud chaser? Oh fuck yeah. Back Why? in the day? I, I never understood the cloud chasing thing. 
<laughs> you want to recreate the effect of hitting a bong, but you don't get the impact and the effect that the bong gave you, thus justifying... Stop chewing on my chair, you dickhead. <laughs> justifying <laughs> the amount of vape juice that you're taking in. Well, I don't know. I was just, you know, it was enticing in the beginning. You know, it was interesting. It, it was, you know, it wasn't so much that, oh, I... I, I sucked in this vape and i blew out this big cloud it's what can i build to make the cloud bigger gotcha thicker things like that it's not so much about the clouds as as much as it is the building process and the tinkering and that's what i really liked about it. what can i do to force myself to buy more super expensive over marked up vape juice you know i was i was a hundred dollars a week at one point what's crazy is when the vape thing came into vogue first you had the little tiny ones right and uh, Carrie's sister and Carrie's mom's boyfriend at the time started their own booths and stores because at that time it wasn't being regulated. Yeah. And you could buy all the content to make your own stuff. Yeah. And I would see like the, when you're buying those $25 bottles, it literally was like three and a half dollars worth of material. The margins on that yeah. shit is so insane. Oh yeah. Which is why you can see those stores that have the, you know, they paying two thousand dollars a month for the storefront, and they have a pool table in there that no one uses, yeah. TVs that no one watches, and then like just a corner of it is all vape stores. Like, are you guys laundering money? Oh no, that's just you have <laughs> so much margin in this crap that it's insane. Well, I used to go to this place uh, before work. It's called Vape House in uh, Murphy, North Carolina, and it was in the back of a of an antique store. So like, I don't know if there was just like a partnership or if it was family or whatever, but you would, uh, probably just running a corner in the back of the shop, something because you would walk in to the main door of the, the antique shop. And then you would walk all the way to the back. And in the corner was a dude hanging out with a bunch of different mods and, and batteries and all kinds of shit back there. And he would sell all that shit. Yep. And it was a legitimate business. It was just sketchy how it was set up and <laughs> where it was located. But Well, I, I don't know about now, but when that stuff started about 10 years ago, most of those juices were mixed on people's coffee table in their living room, to be honest <laughs> with you. But uh, let's get back to the task at hand. Yeah. And that is millennials. So, the millennial. A lot of controversy over the millennial. I'd say... A lot of millennials from the older generation get a very bad rap. And I would agree with that. Um, the, the, uh, I would agree with the, uh, I guess, portrayal. Maybe the word that I'm looking for, but I, I would, you know, growing up as a millennial, like I, I kind of got the best prejudice, of perhaps. Huh? The prejudice. Sure. I I grew up kind of getting the best of both worlds because my father was born in 1961. Okay. My mother was born in 62. So what is that? Is that the boomer generation or is that right after the boomers? Oh, I can tell you. Um, No, baby boomers are technically 45 through 52 because that's why they're the baby boomers. That's when all their parents came home from the war. And started right. getting pregnant. 
And then the Xers came after that, right? Yes. Um, let me give you the official baby boomer dates. Uh, let's see. Baby boomers is uh, 1946 to 1964 ish. Uh, Gen X dates. Gen X is going to be from 1965 to 1980. So, yeah, that all checks out. Okay. So, technically, they're, they are boomers. They're just late boomers. Who's that? Your um, parents? Yeah. They're born in the 50s? 61 and 62. No. Um, no, they're Gen X's. Gen X's. Well, I'm 65, so yeah, 62. Yep, so they're late-stage baby boomers. Yeah. So you could technically say, okay, boomer. Yeah. yeah. Technically, I could, although I wouldn't because my dad would probably punch me in the face. No, but your kid would say it to you because he has no idea that you're not even a Gen Xer. Right. So what's interesting is, is that, like, you know, I grew up with – because a, a lot, I guess, would I be considered an elder millennial? You're early. Yeah, you're early. So, you know, being the son of boomers and, you know, the, the boomers had kids that were usually the Gen Xers and then the, the early millennials and whatnot. So... You know, it, it I kind of got the best of both worlds of like that old school, you know, work, you know, put in your time and, you know, do, you know, work ethic and stuff like that. But then I also got kind of the new school, like, oh, technology and, and, you know, social media and, and, you know, kind of that mentality of, of like, you know, don't tell me what to do and, 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 you know, uh, I, I, it's hard to explain, I guess. Um, so what's interesting to me is I actually hate my generation because they're, to me, they're a bunch of whiny fucking, you know, me, me, me. All I care about is me. Everybody got a trophy. When I was growing up, I didn't get a trophy for everything. I mean, you probably didn't either. Um, you know, it's interesting Yes, kind of we did. Um, and I was in Kentucky. We were kind of the early. Um, you got to keep in mind, my parents were the baby boomers, and I was born in 78. Yeah. So that means my mom and my father were in their primes in the 60s and 70s, right. which is dead nuts in the middle of the, the hippie generation. And so I'm not saying my parents. Wait, the what? The hippies, you know, oh, Vietnam the era, the actual full blown hippies because they're rebelling against their parents who were the greatest generation, the World War II generation. So when you have an entire generation of parents where the, you know, 82% of the fathers either served in the military or served over war, you know, they have the discipline and the discipline of being in the military. Yeah. And so all that goes into the work life. And that's why, you know, it was, people had no problem standing in line for sporting events and being patient in traffic because they're used to the hurry up and wait mentality of being in, in the military. And so every generation's key role is to rebel against their parents' generation. Okay. Sure. Well, if your parents are all high and tight, served in the military, ho, ho, high ho patriotism, we fought against the communist. Well, if you want to piss off your parents, what are you going? Okay. Well, we're going to be pro-communist and we're going to be pro-socialist and we're going to be hippies. That's basically the hippies were. They were, even though we're fighting against communists in Vietnam, they're anti-Vietnam. Mm -hmm. But I say all that. Say this. That's when some of this. 
uh, self-esteem movement. Everyone should be included in movement start to happen. And so to your point, we had what was called track and field in Kentucky. Yeah. I know in Ohio, they referred to it as field day. Um, every little area that's basically an elementary school, at least back in the day you would have, you know, long jumps, not like, not like your high school, you know, high school authorized sports teams, but you know, for example, in Hamilton, we had the long run, which was we run around the, the entire distance of the school and the, you know, the first three get a ribbon and everybody else got a participation ribbon. We had them. They were like, I remember first place got a white one. No, first place was like red. Second place was blue. I think um, third place was green. And then everybody else who ran the race got a white ribbon. You got, it was, right. a, it was in fact a participation ribbon. Right. And then I remember in little league, I played baseball, maybe God. Second or third grade, that was it. Maybe first grade. I couldn't play. I was out in right field. I couldn't play for shit. I still got baseball <laughs> trophies. Didn't win them. We never went to the World <clears throat> Series of Little League, so clearly those were participation trophies. So, yes, sure. us as Gen Zs, we were at the early stages of that. Right. Well, what's what's interesting is, you know, I I did say – you know, I don't remember getting particip- participation stuff. I mean, I, yeah, I got awards and stuff like that when I was in school, elementary school in particular. I think every kid kind of did an award ceremony or whatever. But the the main thing that I do remember getting participation was when I lettered in baseball in okay. high school. But I didn't actually play the game. <laughs> gotcha. I was just on the team. So, you know. I guess you would consider that, you know, a participation uh, type of thing. I mean, um, if we're going to be honest, I mean, as much as it sucks, say yes, Gen, Gen X. I mean, you watch TikTok and all that. Oh, we, and most of the shit's true. We drink from hoses. Our parents did lock us out of the house. We were latchkey kids. Yeah. Um, my parents were both working full time. I remember starting in second grade. Uh, well, actually, t- technically, it was first grade and kindergarten, but my sister was four years older than me. And so by the time I was in first grade, she was in fifth grade. And so by the time right. second grade rolled around, she moved on to middle school. So I was in elementary school. And my brother was, he was five years ahead of me. So by the time I was in first grade, he was, he was on his way to sixth grade. So we, my brother and I were never in the same school. So there was never that, oh, you're Gordon's son, brother. And my sister moved back to Kentucky into her fifth grade year. And right. so I was never in occupied a building at the same time as any of my other, my brothers or sisters. Neither so, did I. And so with that being said, by the time second grade rolled around, um, and this is, this is where we're free range children. Could you imagine nowadays? I mean, you got, how old your boy? He's what? Fifth 11. grade? 11th. So he's what? Six, uh, six, sixth he's grade. Going into, he's going into sixth. Yeah. Could you imagine your boy in second grade waking himself up, making himself breakfast and walking to school and showing up on time and you and your wife not being home before he woke up? Absolutely not. And then him walking home, making himself dinner. And then you guys rolling in around seven, eight o'clock at night. And then get upset with him that he ate hot dogs every night. I'm in second grade. What else am I supposed to fucking cook? Right. <laughs> but yeah, so no. starting in as a Gen X or second grade. And we've talked about this before. I've played the theme song. I would get up, eat cereal, and I'd fall asleep on the couch. And then when the closing credits for the cartoon series of Dennis the Menace came on, 
that was my secondary alarm clock because I knew it took that amount of time to walk from my house the quarter of a mile to my school. Yeah. And so, yeah, and um, I remember even before that, when I was when Gordon was probably in elementary school, we lived in Kentucky on that that property that's now a two truck stops, a White Castles, and a defunct haunted hotel. <laughs> um, my parent, my mom, and her boyfriend would leave, and me, Gordon, and my sister would be hanging out on this farmland by ourselves. Yeah, until they came home. That's just the way it was. We raised ourselves because they were out trying to find jobs. Because yeah. you got you got to remember. As bad as the economy was in 2008, in 1980, it was a hell of a lot fucking worse. Yeah. You had high got, you had uh, in the late 70s, early 80s, you had gas shortages, you had the economy was through the floor. I remember for a period of time, because my aunt, that's right around the time she came out of the closet. So my aunt and her girlfriend at the time, and my mom and my dad were already divorced, and my dad was working in Cincinnati, and my mom had custody of us because. Decent jobs are hard to find. My, my brother, myself, my sister, my three male cousins would all get dropped off at my grandmother and my grandpa's house. And we would stay there f- until like five in the afternoon until our parents came and picked us up because they were, you know, surfing around working whatever jobs they could. And we, yeah. none of us were old enough in school yet. So that's how young we were. We're, we weren't even, I think my brother just started like kindergarten, mm-hmm. maybe first grade. But me and my cousins and my sister, we'd all hang out at my, my grandparents' house all day. Yeah. Well, and and the way that I grew up, it was like I kind of got a little bit of that, but it wasn't as unsupervised, I guess, as what you your you know, your situation was. Like, you know, yeah, I would have to walk to school or ride the bike or whatever. And you know, it's interesting too because when I was a kid, we would actually go outside and play. Mm-hmm. We were locked. We were the, literally the, locked outdoors. Yeah, and the younger millennials and now the zennials, they don't know what outside is. If you tell a modern, tell your son walk in there and say, "Hey, go outside and climb a tree," he would look yeah. at you like you had a fucking embolism burst in your head. Yeah, I yeah. remember we used to climb trees, hang from them drop and do the paratrooper roll and pretend like we were landing in combat and <laughs> pick yeah. up our guns and run in off 10th street and Southwest Cape. When I was growing up before like the major construction uh, boom and everything from like the early two thousands, mm-hmm. there was a section of land between Chiquita and uh, what's that 15th. I think, and in that section, there was just nothing but woods. Yep. And that was our hangout. That was where we would go. We'd go there. We'd, you know, play like we were in the army and, you know, we'd get sticks and all kinds of shit and, you know, one pump like BB we gun rule. Each other. Do what? <laughs> we didn't have aerosol. We had, we had BB guns with the two pump rule. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we, you know, we had BB guns and, you know, my, <laughs> My best friend at the time, he had a a dart gun, a blow dart gun. Yep. And I'll never forget this. I went to his house. Stan had one of K Rock. We used to blow blow darts in the wall in our studio. Yeah. His his blow dart actually it came it came with darts and then it came with those like stun things. Ooh. And it all it was was just like a thick piece of plastic that had a blunt end on it. 
I think through my childhood, my my formative years, I had probably seven BB guns in my arsenal at my mom's house in Kentucky. I had a few. I didn't have like a whole bunch or anything like that. I want to steer the ship back on course, so so let's get back to the millennials and their negative impact on your daily life and our daily lives, or at least from your your view. And I think you got some stats to back it up. Well, I don't have stats so much as I have just the, the, the experience of like, you know, when I go to work every day, you know, I, I go to work, I put in hours, I do what I'm supposed to do. And, you know, I go home and then I have guys that, that come in that are younger than me or, you know, later on millennials and whatnot and they come in and they're mopey and they drag their feet and they don't care and they just you know i and and the thing that kills me is i want the most amount of money possible for the least amount of work Mm -hmm. that absolutely chaps my ass especially now i was kind of like that when i was younger because i think the millennial mindset is the world's out to get me and you know, everybody is, is trying to hurt me and, and, you know, things like that. And I, I think growing up or when I was in my early twenties and having a, a kid so young, I always thought the same thing. Like, cause I always thought, well, that, you, know, have- you know, that's an interesting point. Um, I don't think people put too much thought into it cause it's an old man thought, but yeah, you do change. Um, yeah, absolutely. Let me just say this. I, I'm trying to be vague about this because I don't want to piss anybody off. Um, cause I know somebody who's in this realm. If you call me at 44 and you are literally doing the same thing and you claim to be the same person you were at 22, that is not a positive, um, growth in one's life. Yeah. I don't care if, you know, at 22, you had graduated college early and you were already moved on to a profession and already making a career. At 44, you still have better farce have passed. Where, so if you have not changed idealistically, physically, entertainment-wise, literally, I mean, if, you're, if your lifestyle is essentially get up, go to work, come home, and do the exact same. I don't care if it's playing Xbox. I don't care if it's reading books. I don't care if it's playing flag football with your home. If you're literally like, if you can look at your Facebook post and with the exception of, you know, maybe putting on some weight and ga- and some gray in your hair, if like literally your feed is exactly what you were doing 20 years ago. Yeah. That is not a good thing. Yeah. You have not progressed in your life at all. And so, yes, people, you will be I was an asshole when I was a kid. Look, I, I host a World War II podcast. I have books and books of World War II. But at eighteen, I ain't joining the military. I don't want to be like I'm not gonna join this organization. It's gonna make me shave my head and look like everybody else. Um an independent. Um unique. No, I was an asshole yeah. <laughs> and a narcissistic. And at thirty two, I had a completely different and at forty four I have a completely different outlook on military service opposed to what I did back then. Sure. Um, my outlook on life, my outlook on uh, parenting, everything was different. 
But with that being said, there is a natural, healthy change in cycle, which is, and I've said it before, this is why the hippies used to say never trust anybody over the age of 30. Well, why? Because people over the age of 30 have life experience and they tend to form their own opinion on things and they're harder to brainwash. Mm -hmm. 16-year-olds are really fucking easy to brainwash. That's why when we were growing up in the 90s and you turn on MTV, they would have all the political nonsense on all their commercials and they Mm -hmm. would shove all, and just like they still do nowadays. That's why you see all these actors and hip hop artists and all these media people trying to tell people how to vote and who to vote for. Those commercials aren't intended for 45 year old dudes. You're not seeing Keith, you know, Keith or Alan Jackson or, you know, old ass fucking country singers talking 50 year olds. Hey, you know, you'll see them supporting Trump, but they don't have these, you need to go out and vote, blah, blah, blah. No, all that shit saved for the more easily brainwashed people. Yeah. And so, and so, yes, you're right. When you were younger, you had a, Hey, I want the more money for the least amount of work. But with that being said, I don't ever think at the age of 20, I spouted the words. That's not my job description. Well, and and also interesting, uh, out of an arg- article right here, this comes from the New York Post. It was an arg- article about millennials that came out in 2016. And in this paragraph here, it says, first there was Talia Jane, a dopey 25-year-old Yelp employee who was rightly fired for whining about her low salary on social media. Yes. What now? Why? Now. Why was why, she fired? Why, no, why? No, why whine? Okay, well, you, that's a very good point, but let's let's play the role of the young. Well, why can't I say that? Okay, well, what sort of problems internally might that create? One, you're given a bad public view on how mm-hmm. the, the company who's paying your salary treats their employees. Right. But B, Bertha, who's complaining about her low salary might actually be making more than Janine, who started working there three months after her, who doesn't have quite the experience. And so now Janine's going to Human Resources saying, well, I saw Bertha's complaint. She's making complaining about making $32,000 a year, but you guys only pay me twenty eight, Or she's complaining about mm-hmm. making $52,000 a year, and I'm only making forty two. And so now right. Human Resources has to deal with that fucking problem. Right. And so and there's two reasons why you don't do it. And three, it, it affects morale. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, there were there are numerous instances, and it, it and it happens at the company that I work at too, you know, where people talk about their salary and stuff like that, and it's like, you no, because that's just going to cause issues. That's going to, you know, that's going to make somebody jealous. That's going to make somebody think that they are more valuable than you are, and therefore they're going to go back. Number one, it makes you look bad. And number two, it makes the company look bad and look down on you for that. So, you know, there's been situations like that. I got caught up in a situation like that one time because I thought it was somebody that, you know, I trusted, I guess. And he went behind my back and he went back to the boss and was like, hey, well, how come I'm not, you know, he got a bump. I need a bump and blah, 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 blah. It's like. A shitty situation to be in. But I think anyway. I think that's another one of the <clears throat> de- de- real deciding factors between generations. Yeah. 
you know, you hear people say this, oh, in the, in the black culture, they have the snitches get stitches. Yeah. That may be a black culture thing, but that's also a Gen X thing. We were raised to keep your fucking mouth shut. And if you have a problem with a coworker, you keep that between you and your coworkers. You handle that shit internally. You don't go complaining to the boss that, oh, so-and-so fucked up. No. You and your coworkers handle so-and-so. You don't go complaining. You don't go throw them under the bus. Um, I remember when I was working at Wendy's. Um, somebody was doing something stupid, and the management was complaining about it, and I took the look for it. I took, I took credit for the, the dumb shit going on because, one, I was tired of hearing about it, and, two, the dipshit employee was just that. He was a dipshit, didn't know any better. And right or wrong, for a young 17-year-old Don, the manager was the man. And I'm Gen X. We are raised, you don't, listen, you don't trust the man, you don't trust the government, you question authority. And so when someone on your team, someone in your generation, being harassed by the man, you take a lick. Right, yeah. wrong, indifference. And to yeah. this day, I mean... You know, you'll hear something, you see something. Obviously, if someone's beating their kids or doing something completely morally wrong, that's a different thing. But, you know, if it's something a little more not big deal or whatever, it's like you don't throw people under the bus, man. You, you fucking yeah. take them aside and you handle it between you two. Yeah. And that's a big thing. That's, that's, that's like one of the – and that and see, that's what's crazy with Jenner X is like when, when it came to – the lockdown policies and the masking policies and the and the the millennials and the Gen Xers, I mean the Gen Zers. You got my generation who was raised to question authority. Don't trust the government because our parents were hippies. You know they don't trust the government. Yeah. So we were raised don't don't trust the government. And to see people just blindly, okay, I'll I'll go home. I won't go to work. I'll wear the mask. I won't do this. I'll go get a shot. No one. To me, it just, it was like, I saw the perfect patch today. You know, like those Velcro patches you put on your backpacks or on your plate carrier or whatever? Yeah. It just said, free men don't ask for permission. Or free men don't require permission. And it's like, that sums it up. It's like, I just, I don't know if it's because we were raised by our grandparents because our parents are working and our grandparents were the ones who literally fought. And our parents' generations too. People don't think about this. I was talking to a Vietnam vet. And I said, how does it feel to know that your generation was the last generation to actively fight communism in combat? The Viet Cong were communist. Yeah. Since Vietnam, we've been having a fight against Muslims and the Taliban. We haven't been fighting communism. Right. Fighting a whole different ideology. And so, you know, our parents' generation, our grandparents' generation, they fought against socialism and communism. And so... On that face value, what's com what's <clears throat> without getting too deep in the mud? What's the basic face structure of communism and socialism? That is a overbearing government allegedly takes care of your needs. Yeah. Well, when your grandparents who raised you and your parents who raised you fought against that shit, they're going to teach you. Hey, as Ronald Reagan said, the most dangerous words in uh, human history is. Or the most dangerous phrase ever uttered in human history is we're from the government and we're here to help. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's the case. And that's so that's true. why you saw so much kickback, especially from the flyover states and the southern states. 
yeah. you know, New York, Chicago, all of them, they tend to, to lean a certain way and have certain ideologies. Even the Gen Xers, they, the Gen Xers, you know, obviously you can't paint an entire generation with a broad brush, which I want to get into. The millennials, sadly, they do. You have an entire generation, yourself included. Every member's getting painted with a broad brush, but you have outliers, and there's there's people in my generation who suffer from generational guilt. Maybe there are certain things they don't like about their generation they feel guilty for, or maybe they're afraid of getting old, and so they want to take on the new hip way of thinking. Sure. And you see that. But one of the things I wanted to make sure we get into, and I just kind of tipped on it, is I feel, and I and I know, and this is a question you got to ask yourself when you're having these conflicts of personalities, especially when it comes to work ethic. That's a huge one, huge work ethic. I mean, I do agree with the aspect of we need to start allocating more time to live in our lives. You know, our parents' generation and a lot of us, you know, our work ethic is all that, that will 20 years gone by and you have no vacation. You haven't done shit because you've been working so much. So yes, yeah. there is, there is, um, some truth in this feeling that Gen Z and some millennials have that, you know, we need to work to live and not live to work. And there is truth to that. And we got to, and I think we've all kind of, that's the one thing that the lockdowns did. It helped us reevaluate that. And even those of us with a higher work ethic have made more time for family and personal growth and exercise and just doing other things, not work related. But with that being said, um, when you're having these conflicts, look at the person and ask yourself, how old are they? Cause I think a lot of, a lot of this shit's coming from 20 year olds, 24 year olds. They're not millennials. They're Gen Z. And I think a lot of, a lot of this stuff, this behavior, this lack of work ethic, this constant complaining, this not me, this ever-increasing level of narcissism is actually a trait of Gen Z that's getting misappropriated and put on millennials because fucking millennials, that phrase, has been uttered for the last 20 years Yeah, when it was appropriate 20 years ago because you're talking about 20-year-olds 20 years ago. <laughs> Yeah, you know, actually, twenty-year-olds twenty years ago would have been Gen Xers, but you know, twenty-year-olds ten years ago, and so those twenty-year-olds ten years ago are now thirty, and they're, you know, I think Gen Zs were born nineteen ninety-seven. My daughter was born in ninety-seven. She's technically a Gen Z, right? And so, um, we need to make sure that we don't slap on so actually no even older than that this gets to prove my point even more when is the gen z start what year oh 2000 you would think that and it's confusing because you hear millennials well millennials 2000 so millennials were born up till 2000 gen z was born between 1995 and 2012 so a lot of these, a lot of these, there you go. 1995 was what? I was, I graduated in 97. That was 25, almost 30 years ago. I was three years old. <laughs> so 
that that proves my point even more is um, that 28 years ago. So if you're having these problems with people 28 year, damn near 30 and younger, that's Gen Z. And I think millennials are uh, getting slapped with the bad habits of the generation Z. Yeah. And I, if I was a millennial, I would want it that well known. And here are a few habits that Gen Zers have that people smack on to millennials. So these are some of the, a few of these things are just whatever, but. Well, and, and here's a fact or a, a, a stat for you. Go ahead. You asked me about a stat earlier. By 2015, 92 million millennials were born. Yeah. 92 or were, you know, on the planet. Excessive. How many, Gen, how, how many of Gen X do you think there were? By 20, how many, by when? 2015. Uh, I don't know. 61. Million? Million. Versus how many? 92. You know why? Because we weren't fucking wearing condoms. (laughs) I became a father at 17 years old. Yeah. I was a senior in high school when I had my first kid. Because we were latchkey kids. As soon as I got my license, see ya pops. I I had a job at 15. (laughs) I had a license at 17. And I was a father at 17. Yeah. By a 21-year-old woman. Nowadays, she had been brought up on charges. Yep. <laughs> but because I was working, got off work, I, I, I once again, I, I had been waking myself, driving my, walking to school since second grade. So by the time I was 17, I was well on raising myself and no parental supervision. Yeah. Had access to a vehicle access to Columbus and the Ohio state campus and all the things that come along with those. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and we, you know, people think, you know, and they are people, you know, one of the problems they're having nowadays is the Gen Zers are really, you know, we talk a lot about this LGBT stuff, but what goes along with that, even in the straight community is they are not, they got the hookup culture. It's not relationship. It's not, Hey, I've been me and me and, you know, Raven have been going out for 15 years. It's no, uh, you know, I, I see Raven on, on Saturdays and I go see Steve on Sunday. And so they have this hookup culture and then even, and, and so much, and a lot of the young dudes are so, uh, there's, sexual sensitivity has been completely annihilated by the fact that they've been watching porn and masturbating 18 times a day since they were 12, Yeah, that they don't have a desire to be with physical women. And so birth rates are going down, uh, rela- uh committed relationships as a whole are, are going down. But mm-hmm. a lot of that shit started with my generation, you know, uh, bisexuality among squirrels that became a real big popular thing in the late nineties, early two thousands. You would go to the bar all the time and chicks would make out with other chicks just to get responses. But yeah. And so Jen's back to the point is Gen Z. A lot of the stuff that's being blamed on millennials is actually a Gen Z trait. Cause those fuckers are 28 now. Yeah. Here's a few of the things I pulled up. Yep. Excessive social media use. Gen Z is known for their heavy reliance on social media platforms like Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, and others. Some people might assume that millennials are equally addicted to these platforms, although 
the adoption of usage patterns are more pronounced in Gen Z, which makes sense because they were born. They were raised up on it. Yeah. Um, short attention spans. Gen Z grew up in a fast-paced digital world of easy access information, leading some to believe that millennials are also struggling with short attention spans, but that is also a primary uh, trait from Gen Z that people tend to blame on millennials. Online shopping e-commerce, that's really not a big thing. Increased focus on personal branding. Gen Zs tend to be more conscious of their online image and personal branding, while millennials also use social media for their personal branding. Gen Z often are linked more strongly to the behavior I hear, um, that's kind of the same thing. Embrace and influence culture. Here we go. Supporting progressive causes. We are kind of talking about this earlier. Gen Z is generally considered more socially and politically active advocating for causes like climate change, social justice, and gender equality. While millennials are also socially conscious, this activism is often more attributed to Gen Z. But that kind of goes back to the natural progression of humans. We all need something to rebel against. Yeah. Even, even that, what was the old James Dean movie? A Rebel Without a Cause? Yeah. Um, you know, um, our grandparents' generation, they were fighting against communism and socialism. They literally fought. Um, our parents' generation, you were drafted to fight the Vietnam, and then you had the hippie movement. They were fighting against the establishment and fighting against, they had a cause. Mm-hmm. Um, in the 80s, we really didn't have a cause. You had yuppieism and, you know, going to the mall. And with the exception of, and even with the Gulf War, Operation Desert Storm, um, 9-11, even those wars that's been going on for fucking ever, no one takes up those as a cause to rebel against. And so now, these rebels who need a cause, things are going pretty damn good right now, and so... We got dipshits gluing themselves. Actually, not even gluing. Now they've moved on to using two-part epoxy mixed with concrete, gluing their hands to roads in Germany. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen these. I've seen some. <laughs> I've seen some reports where people are claiming someone may have to have their hands amputated. But more funny to me is one person was complaining. I love this about the Germans. <laughs> Germans came, the cops came, chiseled around the hand, popped the hand off, said, okay, you deal with it. You're free to go. What? You're not going to, you're not going to take me to the hospital and, and ha- no, <laughs> you did this to yourself. Take yourself to the hospital. You figure out how to get that shit off your hands. That's not up to us. Our job was to get your ass unglued from the street. You're yeah. unglued. You go figure out how to get the epoxy slash concrete makeup off of your hand without getting your hand lopped off. And we need more of that. Yeah. We need more people being forced to take responsibility for their dumb actions. And that's a phrase that's a phrase that's gone. Being responsible for your actions. Yeah. That's a big thing. Uh, let's see. Oh, here. Um uh, sustainable and eco friendly choices, Gen Z, yada yada yada. Um, but people complain about the millennials. People complain about Gen Z, as we should. I mean, when we're seeing TikTok videos of a woman asking if the airport or the traveling company, what was the phrase she used? I love this. If they 
work with people who have timeline efficiency problems. Basically, yeah. I, I can't show up on time, so you need to organize everything around me. And then yeah. she was offended when people told her to pull her head out of her ass. Yeah. I get it. We need to complain. But these people weren't born and raised under their own guidance. Yeah. They're not, even though they're dumb, even though they're annoying, they can't take full responsibility for their mindset because they were raised by someone or something. And so I think it's very important that if we're going to have a, a podcast about how horrible millennials and Gen Zs are, we're honest and ask, well, who's at fault? Parents. <laughs> More importantly, helicopter parents. Are yeah. you familiar with this phrase? Yep. I tried to go back because I remember in my deep recesses of my mind, news articles that would popping up in God Brown 2004 and then about 2005, 2007. And the phrase helicopter parent really started taking, on, well, fuck you too. Uh, <laughs> taking on, um, prevalence it's started popping up in the vernacular helicopter parent well what's a helicopter parent first and foremost let's talk about what a helicopter parent is Mm -hmm. helicopter parent is a term used to describe the style of parenting where the parent is excessively overprotective and closely involved in their children's life often to the point of being intrusive and controlling the term helicopter parent originated in the early 1960s as I was saying earlier, my generation Gen Z, we started seeing this from our hippie parents. Gen that, X. Yeah, I'm sorry, Gen X. We started seeing this from our hippie parents. You know, yes, we always always didn't talk about millennials getting participation trophies, but if we're honest with ourselves, we got them too, as we talked about earlier. So a lot of this stuff stems from the hippie movement. Yeah. So let's see, um, 1960s and gained popularity. So, yeah, it was around in the 60s, but it was probably like California and upper New York, and it lay dormant like a cancer or a terrorist cell for 30 years. But it gained popularity in the 1990s and 2000s, and that's very important because we were just talking about how Gen Z started in 1995. Yeah. Helicopter parents are known for hovering, hence the name, over children constantly monitoring their activities and... um intervening in their decisions and actions. They may have good intentions such as ensuring their children's safety and success, but their excessive imp- uh, involvement can have negative consequences on their child's development and independence. If you watch the Jackass franchise, there's a song that was written by the cousin of Johnny Knoxville and it goes along the lines, if you're going to be dumb, you got to be tough. Yep. I started skateboarding in second grade. Street skating. We had a room. We had a band of probably twenty hoodlum kids rolling around Rickenbacker Air Force Base or Steeplechase skateboarding. And the rule of thumb for Gen Zers: only time you wore pads and helmets is when you went to a skate park, which, with insurance reasons, required you to wear pads and helmets. And so, if you were lucky enough to have a membership to Sun Sports Indoor Skate Park like my buddy did. When you saw him skating around the neighborhood, he had knee pads on around his ankles because he had to wear them at the skate park and he didn't feel like taking his shoes off when he came home and skated around the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. 
it was right around the late 80s, early 90s where these helicopter parents started enforcing their kids to wear helmets while riding their bicycles down the street to the point where some municipalities made it a law for children to wear helmets. My generation, we didn't wear helmets unless we were at a skate park that required them. This taught us how to fall. That's right. There is a way to learn how to fall. Mm-hmm. As I was saying earlier, we used to hang from tree branches and do the airborne. Since your feet hit the ground, you tuck your knees, you roll out of it. Skateboarding and bicycling. Now, I'm not just talking about riding your bicycle. I'm talking about jumping off of kicker ramps and doing tricks and skateboarding. Not longboarding, but actually skateboarding, doing ollies, kickflips, bonelesses, acid drops, power slides, all the handrails, rail slides, smith grinds, 50-50s, all that stuff. You hit a rock. You're going to fly forward. You put your hands down, you roll, your hands get scraped up, you get a scraped up helmet, but very, very seldomly did your head ever make contact, unless you're hit by a car. Why? Because we learn how to fall. We learned, in the words of the Wu-Tang Clan, protect your neck. <laughs> we learned how to take a fall. All my years, I skateboarded for 13 years, 15 years. I said that funny because I got, I got, I got, Numb teeth because I just had a thought. <laughs> Not once did I ever get a concussion. But the reason I have numb teeth right now is I remember in second grade running through a neighbor's backyard, tripping on a root, chasing somebody, falling and hitting my head on the concrete slab of their fucking porch. And that to this day gives me numb teeth because it hurt. That didn't happen <laughs> while skateboarding. That happened while running through a yard. So was I supposed to wear a helmet from that point on? But my point is, is we were such ruffian hooligan assholes that when my neighbor's mom was one of these early helicopter parents, made him wear his helmet while skateboarding. Guess what happened? Fallon busted his face. No, he stopped skateboarding. Ah, yeah. Why? Because everybody made fun of him for being a pussy for wearing a fucking helmet. It wasn't cool. They may have yeah, good we, intentions such as ensuring their children's safety and success, but their excessive involvement can have negative consequences on children's development and independence, such as learning how to fall, learning how to get tough. We've spoke about this in the past. You went through boot camp. Yep. The obstacle courses at military boot camp up until recently, haven't changed a whole hell of a lot. As far as the uh, actual activities, the monkey bars, the climbing over the six foot walls, the the slide, you know, the slide for life, all that stuff, the running, yeah. the rucking. The Marine Corps uh, is either the Marine Corps or the Army issue stats on obstacle courses that they've been using for thirty years, and more people are breaking bones and getting stress fractures and more severe injuries on certain parts of the obstacle course that never had that level of injury. Not because the kids aren't physically fit. They've, they've reached a fitness goal to actually enlist. You know, there's, there is a level of fitness you have to have before you actually can enlist. And then when you go yeah. to boot camp, they further that activity. 
the reason these people are getting hurt is because they never learned how to fall. They never took a lick. You see these MMA guys from like the Philippines or South America, they'll go in there and just kick the shit out of somebody's leg and snap their leg in half. That's because part of their training, they'd go kick bamboo with their shins. Yeah. And repetitive stress to the bones causes the bones to get thicker. And so our grandparents' generation, our parents' generation, my generation, your generation, we all grew up riding bikes. We all tackled each other playing football. We all clotheslined each other playing Red Rover. (laughs) We all all fell out of trees. We all twisted ankles, got hairline fractures, occasionally broken arm, leg. I never did. But through the rough and tumble, the falling, the impact, the slamming, the bumping, the bruising, our bones got stronger. So by the time you were 18 and you're going through boot camp, your body was stronger and more durable that you could handle the obstacle course. But because these gener- the newer generations have helicopter parents, they grew up in air conditioning, playing a lot of Xbox. Maybe they would occasionally go play some basketball at school or whatever. But because a majority of their time is spent in comfortable environments, they're not out running around. You know, they might play the occasional sport, but Overall, even the most active kid nowadays is not as active as the laziest kid back in nineteen fucking ninety five. It's just the, the point of it's just it's the way our life was. They're not putting stress on their body, and because they're not putting stress in their body, their bones aren't getting thicker, and so these same obstacle courses are causing more injuries because the, the, literally their frames can't handle it. They weren't tempered. <laughs> they weren't put through the courses. Yeah. And, and, and that's well, an issue. And not only, not only that too, but you know, yeah, learning how to fall, but also learning what not how to, to get do back next up. time. Oh, huh? exactly, exactly. You, know, you learn, you learn your lesson really quick when you fall and bust your face, or you break a bone, or something like that. You learn. Put your hands down next time. <laughs> yeah, next time I shouldn't do it that way, and maybe that won't fucking happen. Take a roll next time. The world is too bubble-wrapped today. Characteristics of helicopter parenting may include constantly monitoring supervising their children's activity, being overly involved in their children's schoolwork projects and extracurricular activities. Look, there's nothing wrong with supervising homework to make sure it gets done. Sariana did a school project a few years back. She did it on the triple nickels which was the 555th airborne division which is the first all black including leadership army division in history she didn't read the book tried to make her read the book she did very little of the effort went to school she brought some of my world war ii stuff but outside of that when it came to her poster (laughs) you could tell that she didn't do the work i wasn't going to do the work for her we try to encourage her. We try to help her read. But you're looking around this room, and you can see the kids who did the work, the kids who didn't do the work, and the kids whose parents fucking did everything. <laughs> and it stood out. Yep. You knew. Which, So you have these parents who not only get involved, but they are heavily involved. And yeah. they tend to be housewives who have no career of their own. 
And so they double down on their kids' activity. Being yep. overly involved in their children's... Oh, we already read that one. Making decisions for their children without allowing them to take on age-appropriate responsibilities. Very true. Uh, that's that's something that I've been trying to teach my son, you know, recently. is Since he's getting older and he's starting to be able to make decisions, you know, he's at that age where he can make decisions. I try and, you know give him the you know the option and make him learn from the decision that he made as opposed to making the decision for him and i know it's going to go right and i know it's going to be the right thing to do but you know valuable life lessons valuable life lessons like number five shielding their children from failure and disappointment often trying to remove obstacles and challenges from their past that's also referred as a lawnmower parent. Mm. Try to give a smooth playing field. And that's very important. We see that's where a lot of this Gen Z stuff comes from. When you see, you know, there's that famous TikTok where that kid was the barista at Starbucks was crying because he has to work eight hours every day, including Saturday. And then you have all these people do what? And I'm like, dude, I work fucking 14 hours a day, seven days a week. It's called yeah. life. Get over it. And th that is a huge one. That is, I think that is one of the biggest contributing factors to what we see with that and the school system's zero tolerance on bullying. We've discussed this before. I'm not saying we, we're not justifying allowing kids to get punched in the fucking mouth. That's physical bullying. But the verbal bullying, though it's mean and it makes you feel bad when you think about kids crying, it does. It's the psychological equivalent of us talking about falling getting stronger your your bones you know when people verbally abuse you and bully you um hopefully you have someone in your life teaches you how to bully back come back with a quick snappy answer you know there used to be a mad magazine book called uh uh snappy comebacks to stupid questions or something long before here's your card by bill Inville. there was the <laughs> mad magazine snappy comebacks to stupid questions or something like that and you know once again i I'm not giving this information on the side of the popular. I was in LD classes. That's what they're called, LD, for learning disabled. We didn't have cute little acronyms and all these cute little flowery terms. It was, hey, you're dumb. We're going to pull you out of the mainstream. And that's what they call it, mainstream classes. We're pulling you out of the mainstream classes for reading, science, and math. And we're going to take you down the hall and put you in an old broom closet with a 70-year-old teacher who's getting ready to retire. And all the kids are going to walk by and laugh at you. So trust me. That I look like fucking Where's Waldo for half my life. Um, I, I took a lot of bullying, and that's where my <laughs> resilience came from. So by the time I got to high school, I suffered fools poorly and uh, and fought back verbally quite often. Um, and so trust me, I what I say this because I know where it's coming from. I've I've been there, and I actually had I remember like five six years ago I I posted something. I made a comment on something on Facebook. And uh, some girl went to school was like, yeah, you, you had such a hard life look, looking like you do. And I just posted a picture in my fucking uh, seventh grade yearbook photo. I was like, you don't remember this? <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Big old fucking glasses, huge chin, skinny as shit, fucking super nerdy. I was like, yeah, you, you're looking at me now working at the radio station and this and that. <laughs> you remember this from fucking 1993? Trust yeah. me. I, I took I took my share of fucking uh, of comments. Um, let's see here. 
advocating for the children in school and other settings sometimes excessively to ensure their children receive special treatment or advantages. There was articles that came out in the mid-2000s, and I tried to find them, and I was even trying to find archived databases. They actually had stories on like Monster.com and these hiring websites where human resources and CEOs were talking about having open house for new employees that were college age. Could you imagine starting your career and having your mom come to your work and talk to your boss about all of your little quirks? Wait a minute. That kind of open house? Yes. Like open house, like when you went and talked to your kids' parents, uh, school yeah. teachers, they in the mid 2000s for these, these Gen Zers and late age millennials, they were actually having open house type stuff and it reminded me and you got to keep in mind comedy there's always realism to comedy and uh, I've never heard of that before yeah it it was happening oh where did I put that Uh, I thought I put on H oh here we go (laughs) (laughs) Robbie you scared me How did your interview go? Come here, let me tell you about it. Didn't it go well? Well, it was going okay. And then Agent Garfield read me a letter about Crazy Robert in his lucky suit. What? I never said crazy. Mom, what did you do? She faxed the FBI a letter about how she ruined my lucky suit. I wasn't sure it went through. It's the first time I ever used a fax machine. That's the episode of Everybody Loves Raymond where Robert wants to leave the police and go to the FBI and his helicopter mom decided to send a fax talking about how Robert's interview went bad because she burnt a hole in his lucky suit. <laughs> he, 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 was required, he should be allowed to have a second interview. <laughs> so here are some of the negative traits helicopter parents have had on these generations in Gen Z. This one makes perfect sense. And, and when I read this to you, you're going to look, oh, this explains a lot. Lack of independence. Helicopter parents tend to be overprotective and exclusively involved in their children's lives. The behavior can hinder development of independence and decision-making skills in their children as they might not get enough opportunities to face challenges and to solve problems on their own. Absolutely. I remember when I worked for Stan Haney when I first started so many years ago, there was a report out of Washington State from the state police department um, because the helicopter parents and more importantly, the fact that the, the kids were raised on cell phones and text messaging, they had to take their new police cadets to the mall and to public places and make them have conversations with complete strangers and maintain eye contact because these cats have grew up communicating and you'd see these pictures and jokes all the time of like the family reunion where all the cousins are sitting in front of each other and they're all talking through text instead of talking to each other. Yeah. Well, this came to reality. You know, you can't be a cop and solve people's problems if you can't communicate with people. And this was an issue. Um, where I work now, Josh started working there at 18. He's 19 now. When he first started working there, he would talk like this, very timid. And yeah. me and a guy who no longer works there, I told Dan, I said, hey, 
phone rings, make Josh answer it. The only way you're going to get through that is through repetition, repetition, repetition. And it's been a year now, and we just had a new um, young kid, 15-year-old. He, he writes computer programs at 15, believe it or not. Same thing, very timid. And Josh's dad, who's my boss, was telling the kid's mom, one of the things Don and the guys here did to Josh is they made him answer the phone every day. And Josh has come tr- full circle on his ability to communicate. Yeah, I would like, enunciate Josh. He would talk in the phone. Speak up, dude. People can't hear you. And then he would double down and make it even worse and talk like that on speakerphone. But now he's yeah. more comfortable, more assertive, not really assertive, but more confident in his talking ability. And he's his communication skills have come a long way. And we got this thing with the new 15-year-old. We got a, he doesn't talk much. He doesn't say much. And, you know, we're he's not doing customer service based activities but it would definitely behoove him to have those type of skills yeah decreased resilience when children are shielded from failure and adversity they struggle to develop resilience and coping mechanisms later in life helicopter parenting can lead to fear of failure and instability to handle setbacks effectively that's a big one when it comes to careers and relationships you know, we see how Robbie's mom, you know, helicopter parented him. And that show was on in the late 90s, early 2000s on Everybody Loves Raymond. I don't think Robert finally got married for the second time until he was 40. He was living, yeah. he got that divorce and lived at his parents' house until he was 30. In his 30s, he was a cop, but still had very awkward social skills. Mm-hmm. This one we see all the time. And I, to me, it's weird that, it was weird to me when I started seeing people when ADHD and anxiety became fashionable. It seems to me that there's way more people posting about having anxiety and ADHD than they actually were. At yeah. least in my mind. I'm not a doctor. But I will say this. Um, when my daughter was 18, she graduated high school and I brought her down here. She... Gen Zer through and through. Spent all our time on Reddit, the internet, this, that, and the other thing. She was explaining to me how she's allergic to peanut butter. Because on the internet, on the news at the time, that was the big thing. Peanut yeah. allergies. No peanut butters. Yep. She got a job at Subway. Told her boss, I can't touch the peanut butter cookies. I'm allergic to peanut butter. Guess what, Mike? She's not allergic to fucking peanut butter. She grew up poor. We've been feeding that kid peanut butter sandwiches since she was fucking out of the womb. But because she spent so much time on me on the internet and on Reddit and reading the topics and wanting to identify with the cause celeb, Mm -hmm. she was now allergic to peanut butter. Yep. At the time, she was explaining to me how she was trans. And she was identifying as a dude. And I said, when did you have this realization? About seven months ago. This was years ago. Did the back math. Oh, right around the time Caitlyn Jenner came out. Gotcha. So the whole thing at that time caused celeb, peanut allergies, and transitioning. And like I could go down a list of like all, you know, because her and her generation spent so much time on the internet and yeah. social justice warriors and taking on social causes. I mean, 
the trans thing's one thing, but like when you're literally telling your boss you can't touch peanut butter because you're allergic to peanut butter, even though you've been eating fucking peanut butter since you were fucking zero, <laughs> and yeah. you're now 18, you're not allergic to peanuts. You're just so caught up in everything on the internet. So high stress and anxiety. Constant hovering and pressure from parents can lead to increased stress and anxiety levels in children. The fear of disappointing their parents or not meeting their expectations can be overwhelming to some children. And that is true. Um, I'm not going to say the kid's name. Uh, there's a very, very, very popular kid in my, my high school. Straight A's. Going off to college. Parents very well to do. Lived in a beautiful, big-ass house. The year after high school, he killed himself. Because his parents were, it's one thing to have expectations for your kids, wanting them to get good grades. But then there's like the parents, like you, did you ever see Dead Poets Society? Yeah. Where the parents are like just overbearingly insane about the grades and, and being part of this society and all that. This yeah. kid suffered from that. His parents hovered on him and his dad wrote his ass so much about his expectations for his kid about going to college, getting great. He had the good grades, but the pressure that his parents put on him were to, to that level that the guy killed himself at fucking 19. Yeah. And this was like one of the most popular kids in my school. Fucking sad. Yeah. Reduce self-esteem while helicopter parents have good intentions. Their constant involvement can control negative impact. I'm sorry, control Involvement and control can negatively impact your children's self-esteem. Children might begin to doubt their abilities and feel that they can't handle situations on their own. Very true. Um, we hear this all the time. I'm not going to go down the rest of this list, but one of the things that you hear all the time is from 20 year olds, especially is I'm not making enough money how we can't afford to do this and do that. And, and look to a point uh, to a certain extent of that. I fucking wholeheartedly agree. I cannot imagine being 16 years old in a time where gas costs $5 a gallon. Once again, I was talking about as soon as I got my driver's license and a job, I was fucking out. I was never home. Well, gas costs 98 cents a gallon. $5 yeah. gave me half a tank in my S 10. Right. Um, cost of living. You know, I was only making four twenty five an hour working, but everything was cheaper. Uh, value meals were fucking 99 cent. <laughs> I mean, you can get a junior bacon cheeseburger for 98 cents. Now they're, they're $2. Um, and so you could live quite well and run around quite well and have a decent time with minimum money. Yeah. My daughter moved down here at 18. Um, her mom was never around, never taught her how to drive. So I taught her how to drive. Her grandfather bought her a 20 year old Sebring. We shipped it down here. She went out, got her license. You know how much the insurance company wanted on a 20-year-old Sebring for liability? $500 a month. What? On a paid-off car because she was 18 and had no driving experience. So you're 18, your car is paid off, it's 20 years old, and you got to come up with $500 a month for insurance? Mm -hmm. It's insane. So... I, you know, we hear all kids don't want to drive anymore. Well, yeah, of course not. Fucking gas is $5 a gallon and insurance on liability costs you more than your damn car payment. I can understand yeah. I'm not wanting to drive. Yeah. 
I mean, there are, there are valid <sighs> points that, you know, I think certain people make, you know, like people can't survive on minimum wage anymore. Correct. People, people can't survive, you know, when, <clears throat> I, when, um, when I was in my early twenties, I mean, gas was up over $4 a gallon. That's because Obama's on office. Right. <laughs> um, gas was up over $4 a gallon. I mean, I had my S10 and, you know, it would cost me $60 to fill up for the week. And, you know, when you're not making, you know, but only every two weeks, you probably make 500 bucks. Mm-hmm. You can't afford to live on no. stuff like that. You know? I was at the gas station so the other I, night I, and uh, the lady behind me, was putting gas in her car and her boyfriend was in the pump next to me. Yeah. And she's like, how much you want me to put in there? He's like, fill it up. And she's like, wow, I didn't know you had that kind of money. He said, I don't have that kind of money. I'm broke as shit. I just bought a house. And she's like, well, I already got $40 in there and I'm going to have to take like, you better slow that shit down. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> He's like, I didn't realize it cost that much money. And me being the old white guy and I said, yeah, I said, I said, shit, man, half a tank is the new full tank of gas. I said, I cannot yeah. tell you the last time, I had enough money to buy a full tank of gas, and we all had that conversation. I said, little after, like, yeah, damn straight, right? Like, yeah. So, you know, I didn't realize, oh, shit, you're at $40, you're less than half a tank of gas. Yeah, you need to fucking cut that shit off because I know I don't have that kind of money. But no, I, I remember it was a struggle just to just to throw 20 bucks in my tank, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, that was yesterday. That didn't get you very far. Um, but what I was getting to is, yes, cost of living is fucking insane the fact that you go to mcdonald's and buy three common meals and spend forty dollars it's like wow you should be able to get a steak dinner for that yep there's truth to that but even back in the day before hyperinflation and things are so ridiculous um 20 year olds you're not supposed to have a cushy life you're not supposed to be able to afford a fifty thousand dollar car yeah a nice house you're supposed to have a shitty piece of shit car, which you're all lucky now because even a Kia is reliable. When I was growing up, you never knew if you're getting a fucking work on time. Either your battery is going to die, you didn't have enough gas, your fuel pump was going to go out, you're going to have a flat tire. Cars just ran like shit. Nowadays, you can go lease a fucking Kia for 99 cents a month, and it's going to start and get you to work every day. It may yeah. not have it may not have a console to put your elbow on your your dashboard and your radio may be all red, and you're going to not have all the the technical advances. But that fucker will start and it'll get you to work. So you guys are lucky there. And it's but, got AC and stereo, so and <laughs> and power doors and power steering. Uh, but my point being is, you're not supposed to be able to afford everything that you need and want in your twenties. You're supposed to scrape. You're supposed to have to have five roommates. I remember my buddy Frog got his first apartment. He had five guys living in a two-bedroom townhouse. Bill had his fucking mat on the floor in the utility room next to the fucking AC handler because they all split rent. Um, yeah. That's just what you did. You had shitty cars. I, I cannot tell you how many times I've walked to work because I couldn't afford gas. Hell, I moved down here in 2004. I lived over off Cape Coral Parkway. Didn't have enough gas to drive to Fort Myers to go to work. So what did I do? Did I call off work? No, I no. fucking rode my bike. And then at the end of the day, I'm not a social reject. One of my coworkers gave me a ride home. Yeah. Um, there was times I worked at Wendy's growing up. My piece of shit S10 wouldn't start or I didn't have money for gas. 
I'd grab my skateboard. I'd walk down the major roads, and then I would skateboard through the neighborhoods and cut through and, and cut time off. And usually somebody, an old couple, would pick you up and give you a ride. If not, you just you fucking walked. You did what you had to do. Yeah. And I say all that to say this. The reason that is important is you hear, the, you hear about this all the time with rich kid syndrome, especially children of celebrities in their 20s and their 30s. They never experienced getting their first apartment with the roommate being broke as shit, living off of ramen noodles and making that pizza last. You know, I worked on Stan Haney. Stan would tell a story about when he was in college. He would get paid. He would buy a bucket of KFC chicken and then make that thing last for four. That was like dinner for four nights. Yeah. Because you're so broke. Um, and so you hear these stories all the time about these childhood celebrities or these kids or rich parents who they never, they got the brand new car. I remember, <laughs> I remember working on Wendy's, you know, I had to buy my S10 off my dad. Uh, when we were moving from Hamilton Township to Grove City, my brother already transitioned to high school in Grove City, and so he needed a way to get there. So my dad bought him a 1991 Chevy S10. thing was so stripped down, no air conditioning, no power. The thing didn't even come with a rear bumper. That's <laughs> funny. That's that's the year that mine was, a 1991 S10. It had one passenger headlight, I mean one passenger mirror. Manual windows, no power, nothing, not even power steering. It was a five-speed. Gordon drove to school, drove around, dicked around, got a job, fucked up, wrecked his car, was acting a fool. My dad took the car away from him. My brother had to go out and get his own car. I turned 18, got my license. Yes, that's right. You're like, wait a minute, I thought you became a parent at 17. Yes, I actually became a parent before. <laughs> no, I got my license at 17, not at 16. Um, anyhow, got my license. Did my dad give me Gordon's truck? Yeah. He gave it to me along with a $99 a month car payment. Truck was paid off at that point, but he was teaching me responsibility. Uh, Here's a truck. I'm not going to fucking give it to you. You got to pay for it. Yeah. So I had to pay my truck payment. I had to pay my insurance payment and, and buy gas. I had that piece of shit S10. It blew a head, it threw a rod. Now I have no car. Found a 1998 Suzuki Somersault for sale on some farm. Went and got a, talked to my dad. He took me down to the bank. He walked me through getting a, a car loan through a bank. And the, the guy was selling this thing for like two grand. So got a bank loan for $2,500. Went down, bought this 1988 Suzuki Samurai. I had that. From the ages of 18, uh, 19 to 21. Got married at 21. Samurai, well, I already had a kid. Sam, uh, Samurai was running like shit. Went down to a buy here, pay here lot. Got a sweet ass 1995 Ford Escort LX. <laughs> Keep in mind, it's 2000 at this point. Uh, <laughs> paying $100 a week on his fucking car. Do the math. That's. $400 a month on a piece of shit <laughs> 1995 Ford Escort LX, but no credit, no money. Buy here, pay here lot. Struggled. Took that car to California after I got my divorce. Drove it around California, paid it off. Threw the clutch out on the 405. Moved here. My dad was selling his 1997 Pontiac Firebird that he bought for my stepmom when I was in high school. Bought it off of him. 
sold my escort. At this point, I'm 23, still driving used cars from the 90s. <laughs> this is 2004. Um, Carrie and I met. She had a piece of shit Mustang, sold it, got her a Volkswagen. Firebirds start falling apart. Back to the buy here, pay here lot. Bought a 2002 Chevy Colorado piece of shit. Thing would stall out. I remember I bought that thing, drove it four miles, the battery died. Called the guy who wanted to sell me a new battery. I'm like, how are you not going to just... If I owned a used car lot, every car I sold, I would just add to $200 for the battery to the price of the fucking car. Yeah. I would make sure every car that rolled out of that lot had a brand new fucking battery in it. I'd be embarrassed mm-hmm. if I just sold somebody a truck. They just gave me all the money they had as a down payment. And now they're calling their parents asking for 150 bucks because they got to buy a brand new car battery because I sold them a car with a dead battery. Yeah. I had that car. The thing was a piece of shit. Finally, at the age of 32, working two jobs, I was able to go down to the Toyota dealership and buy a base model, basic bitch-ass Toyota Tacoma with not even truck tires. It's the one like Advanced Auto Parts uses to deliver parts. It looks like it's got Corolla wheels on it. <laughs> on that. And it was it was base model. I mean, it. the only thing that thing had was power locks, power windows, air conditioning, and cruise control. That was it. Worked my ass off, traded that in, got my other Tacoma, and now I have my Tundra, which my Tundra was used. Long story short, I didn't get my very first brand new car off the lot until I was 35 years old. And that thing was a base model, and I babied the shit out of that and treated it like it was a Lamborghini. Because all the years of me struggling, making sure, you know, having cars constantly break down, and coming where I came from, by the time you finally get to where you can afford stuff, you appreciate it and you take care of it. When you hear about these rich kids, oh, they, oh, that's right. I was going to say, I was driving my piece of shit S10 that I bought off my dad, working at Wendy's, and this girl I worked with, her parents bought her a brand new Pontiac Sunfire. That was badass. Mint. Mint. And she was complaining about it because it wasn't the car she wanted. Oh no! And that car—that was the same time the um, the Chevy Cavalier came out, the new one, not the Z24. The Z24 was badass, but this was the more futuristic-looking one, kind of looked yeah. like the neon. And so the Sunfire was the cool version of the Cavalier. It was the sportier version by Pontiac. Yeah. And like to be the poor kid that I was, driving my beat-up S10 that's already been wrecked and repaired and. Don't even have air conditioning or fucking power locks. You hear this girl whose parents bought her brand new off the lot Sunfire complaining that it wasn't the car she wanted. There you go. She didn't appreciate it. Yeah, she had a job. She had a job for spending money, but she didn't appreciate that car. And you hear that all the time where these kids who parents buy them stuff brand new off the lot, they don't appreciate it. They beat it up. How many times have you seen like that kid like at your school who has the nice car and he's driving down the road. He gets mad at his girlfriend, starts punching the radio and shit, and kicking the yeah. dashboard, and just fucking destroying his car because his parents bought it for him. Yeah, he didn't. He never had the piece of shit that he wasn't sure was going to start. And and you need that. 
you need that strife. You need that struggle. <clears throat> and so you weren't intended to have nice shit until your 30s. Mm-hmm. Never were. I, I was 29 when I got my first brand new vehicle. Every vehicle Six years prior before to me. That, what's that? Six years before me. Yeah. 29, got my first brand new vehicle off the lot with 24 miles. Prior to that, I traded in my 2000. I don't think it was a 2000 Chevy Blazer. I traded that in for, I guess you call it a stepping stone car. Um, it was a 2017 Nissan Rogue, a little red car I was riding around, putting mm-hmm. the kayak on top. That was, up until now, that was the, the newest car I'd ever owned, and that was pre-owned. And the thing is, and too, then, is I couldn't enjoy my new trucks because I was running a business at that point. Yeah. And I was also working at the radio station. I was brand new truck off the lot. I was driving 130 miles a day. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why I had to trade it in so soon for my right. other one. But yeah, my, I, I borrowed my dad's, my dad had like a 1998 blazer when we lived in North Carolina. And when I first got my license, he was like, all right, you can drive the car just, you know, and it was old and, you know, you had to, it had quirks. You had to make sure like, you know, I, I worked on every vehicle prior to this one. Now when he says quirks for you younger cats, that means like, oh, you got to turn the ignition halfway, pump the gas three times and push in on the clutch and then scratch your balls just right to get the fucker to start. Every car had a, every car had a quirk to something to it <laughs> yeah no let me tell you this the fucking gas gauge didn't work oh yeah i had to do mathematics and pull an equation out of my ass to figure out how much gas i had oh my uh my second stepdad he had a 1988 ford escort same thing he actually had a miniature notepad on his homemade dashboard stand where he would yep. write the gas how much he put in there how many miles he has and yep. ha- every day he would okay i have x amount of miles and to fix this check engine light, a little black piece of electrical black tape. tape. Yep. Cover that bitch right up. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And I was fortunate enough on the Blazer that it actually told you what your fuel economy was. Fancy. Now, how accurate that was, who knows. But if you put 10 gallons in and you get 14 miles to the gallon, you could do the math and figure out, okay, you know, this is this is how long I have until I need to fill up again. Did the left glove box hinge break off your 1991 S10 glove box? The hinge? <laughs> yeah. You would know if it did because every time you open it, it would fall down. It, it did. Yep. Yeah. They always broke. Yeah. And then remember how the headlights had that? It was a horizontal f- switch. You flip. It wasn't on the stick. It was a panel. And you had. Yes. You, that broke too. Mine didn't break. What's interesting is, is that. I because I bought my truck. My my truck was eight hundred and fifty bucks. It sat for a long time. This this dude moved to Kentucky or whatever and he wanted to sell it and he wanted like nine hundred or a thousand or something like that. Talked him down to nine fifty. My dad drove it home for me because I was working or something like that. And it had a BB shot through the driver window. Mine ended up had, getting shot out. At my huh? baby mama's house by somebody shot my window out of the BB gun. Last yeah. time. And uh, had a dead battery, so he had to buy a battery to make sure it ran and started. The window blew out while he was driving it home at about 50 miles an hour down the highway. And the super swampers that were on it were 31, <laughs> 10, 50, 15s. Fucking were bald as shit. Coasting. 
had absolutely no traction at all. So, I mean, it was all over the place, but I fucking loved that truck. Yeah. I, my, to death. Ours was just a skateboard. I mean, I had independent truck company sticker across the windshield. I mean, I love yeah. that truck, but it was beat up and yeah. keep in mind, I got it third hand. My brother trashed it. My dad was using it to pull a huge pontoon boat that it was not <laughs> built for. He burnt a clutch up out of it. Mm-hmm. And now my brother got it. He did what six-year-olds do. Oh, man, you can't have that thing stock. He had uh, Jags traction bars on it, took out the factory steering wheel, had a Camaro steering wheel in it with no horn. <laughs> so <laughs> by the time I got it, the traction bars were been removed, but I couldn't take my driver test in it because it had no horn. Yeah. So I had to take my driving test in a minivan. Nice. But we needed a horn to make it street legal, so we went to Advanced Auto Parts and got an air horn. So I had the toggle switch, honk, honk. So that made me cool at school. I was like the, one of two people actually had an air horn in their <laughs> truck at school. And so you knew when it was me come by. Cause I, I, yeah, because I, I had like a, I don't know, 89 leather Camaro steering wheel, but the, the center cap was gone, so you just saw the hooks. <laughs> so it was just, uh, it was beat up, but it was ours. But um, so, yeah, so to wrap things up, Whose fault is it that the millennials and Gen Zers are so bad? It's the fucking parents. It's the school oh, system. It's, 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 it's Nickelodeon and it's Disney. It's yeah. the it's the media that they're forced to watch. Um, keep in mind before you yell the phrase "damn millennials," chances are it's a Gen Zer if they're twenty six or younger. <laughs> yep. But um, yeah. So you know, I was watching a. I was watching a show the other day. It was talking about serial killers of the Wild West. And when we think serial killers, we think John Wayne Gacy in, in modern days. Well, modern definition of a serial killer is someone who kills three or more people with a resting period in between. Well, that makes Billy the Kid a fucking serial killer. It makes Jesse James and Frank James serial killers. But I was watching this, and then they, as the timeline transitioned, they start talking about Babyface Nelson and all that. And I got to realize, oh, shit. Billy the Kid was running around in 1885. Sounds like a long time ago. I was born in 1978. Means he was running around doing that silliness. Thirteen years before my grandparents were born. And I had this realization and I'm even more prouder today to be born in the late 1900s. I know the Gen Zers say that as a stick to us, but I take that with fucking pride. I think it's cool as shit. The fact that <laughs> I was born 30 years after World War II. I was born 82 years after World War I. And... 78 years after the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, you know, the early 1900s when things started to pick up steam. And so... It's it's interesting to think that I was only born like 22 or 23 years after Vietnam. Yep. And so the older I get, the happier I'm, the more thrilled I am that I was born when I was. And I jokingly tell Josh when we talk about all the shit going on nowadays... The AI stuff and this and that. And yeah. I looked at him and said, Hey, you're gonna have to deal with this a lot more than I am. I said, I'm 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 gonna be around for the beginning of it, then I'm fucking gone. 
It's gonna be up to <laughs> it's gonna be up to you and my kids to deal with this shit. You're either gonna have to sort it out, or you're gonna have to live with it. So maybe it's time uh maybe it's time that you all start paying attention. Because uh the ball's in your all's court. And on that for note, sure. we're going to wrap it up with this episode of the What's in Your Head podcast. Thank you, each and every one of you, for hanging out. We want to hear from you. Send us an email to info at d-410.com with comments, suggestions, um, things of that nature. And uh, we want to thank each and every one of you. On the behalf of myself and Mike, uh, we will talk to you all next week. This has been a Digital 410 production. <laughs>